Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read, beginning in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. In this chapter, Paul is still talking about the Corinthian church and the judgments that they make. In the previous chapter, he said they were making improper judgments about him because they were spiritually immature. And to compound things, not only were they discrediting Paul, but they were actually boasting about protecting a man who was guilty of a very horrible sin, a sin that Paul says that even pagans don't commit. Corinth in the first century was a city of legendary immorality, and the church was proud of its tolerance. They had not correctly judged what was important, and it was bad enough to ignore sin in the church, but to actually glorify it was immoral. So Paul says the judgment they should have reached is that they would expel this man from their fellowship. Paul specifically says to hand this man over to Satan so that physically he can be destroyed or that word carries with it the idea of being punished. In experiencing the consequences for his sin, Paul hopes that this will lead him to a place where his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. There are a few things that I think we need to take note of here. First of all, what does it mean to be handed over to Satan? Well, in the first century, the sin that this man committed was actually a crime under Roman law. Any type of incest was illegal in the Roman Empire. 
and a man marrying his stepmother would have been treated exactly the same as a man marrying his actual mother. So it could be that this man was facing criminal charges and the church was actually protecting him to keep him from experiencing that. But Paul says it's important that he suffer the consequences of his sin, that he not be allowed to experience full fellowship in the community of believers so that hopefully he'll come to his senses. And notice that this sort of church discipline doesn't guarantee the result of him being saved. Paul says that maybe his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. It's still up to him to decide that he needs to repent and rejoin the community of faith. This may already have the wheels of your mind spinning, trying to figure out, okay, how do we determine who can worship with us and where do we draw the line? Doesn't everyone sin? Who is it that should be expelled? Well, we can certainly learn from the rest of Paul's letter that we can worship with those who are struggling with sin and seeking direction. It's when our brothers or sisters give up that struggle that we should expel them. And notice Paul gives us a list of the types of sins that are worthy of this kind of punishment. And using his analogy of what yeast does when it's inside a lump of dough, We see that this is probably not an exhaustive list, but one that lets us know that some sinful behavior, when it's unchecked or even glorified, can actually spread through the body of Christ like a cancer. He mentions specifically here sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, revelry, drunkenness, and being a swindler. People who are living those kinds of lives but want to be called a brother or sister in Christ don't have a place in the body of Christ. They need to be removed from the assemblies the same way that we would remove cancer from our bodies. Now, it's obvious from the totality of Paul's letter, he's not talking about every single time someone messes up is an excuse to kick them out of the group. We're not obligated to give a test at the door. But when sin becomes common knowledge, it should be dealt with and not bragged about. Also, Paul's teaching here is about people who come to the assembly and flaunt their sin. It's not dealing with those who have removed themselves from the fellowship. I know when I was growing up, most of the time when I heard about church discipline, it had to do with people who had quit coming to church and the church leaders had talked to them and tried to get them to come back. And since they wouldn't come back, they were expelled or excommunicated or withdrawn from the fellowship of the body of Christ. But let's be honest, it does no good to withdraw from those who have withdrawn from you. That's not what Paul's talking about here. And these kinds of corrective measures, these attitudes and actions should be taken among people within the church who are sinning rebelliously and flaunting it in the assembly. These are not measures that we can take on people outside the church. We don't get to pass judgment on those outside the church. We can only hold accountable those who made the same commitment that we did, that they would live a life honoring God by following Jesus as their king. When those folks who've made that commitment are taking actions, they're out of step with the teaching and example of Jesus. Those are the people that we are to hold accountable. And if they continue to be rebellious, rather than letting that fester within the group and do damage to the body of Christ, we're to expel that member. Ask them not to attend our assemblies. 
those who never made a commitment to Christ, can't be held accountable for not living up to their commitment to Christ. They never made one. It's the people who have made that commitment, who have opened themselves up to the mutual accountability of the body of Christ. For some reason in our day, we often do it exactly the opposite. We try to force people outside the church to act like Christians and allow folks inside the church to kind of do whatever they want because we don't want to run them off. When we take Paul's teaching here, some things that Jesus taught, other passages in the scripture, we see that there's a a process that we go through before we get to this point. This asking of others to not participate in our assemblies is a last resort. Certainly, there is time invested in these folks to help them understand what their sin is and why it is detrimental to the church. And hopefully, if the whole situation is viewed by both sides through the message of the cross, there can be resolution and the sinner can be restored. But if the person continues to be rebellious against the Word of God, Paul says that for the spiritual health of the church, it only makes sense to expel that person from the fellowship. He does make it clear that that is not passing final judgment on the person. They will stand before God on the day of the Lord. Removing them from the assembly sets boundaries for them so that they can no longer harm, disgrace, or bring reproach upon the body of Christ. And as they deal with the consequences that they created by their actions, they'll have the opportunity to decide whether or not that they will repent and put their actions in line with God's will. But ultimately, whether or not that person is saved or lost is a decision that God makes. So why does this matter so much to Paul? Doesn't everybody sin and everyone has their issues? And isn't the assembly the place where we come to get equipped to live a better life? Why is Paul making such a big deal about this man and his particular sin. He says, I don't even want you guys eating with him. I do think it's important to notice here that Paul this whole time has been talking about this in the context of an assembly. So he's probably talking about the meal that was a part of the assembly, which culminated in the sharing of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper came to us out of the Passover meal, and Paul even uses Passover language to make his point about how leaven corrupts the meal. Even today, one of the key components of observing the Passover is making sure that there is nothing with yeast in the house when the meal is prepared and eaten. So as the Lord's Supper was shared with the fruit of the vine and the unleavened bread, Paul is saying unrepentant sin is contaminating the meal. And when you know about it, you shouldn't allow it. This is because when we observe this meal, the Lord's Supper, there should be no malice or evil at the table, but only sincerity and truth. So I think Paul here is talking about the meal that was a part of the assembly and not ever associating with people who have been expelled from the assembly. This doesn't mean that you could never have a cup of coffee with someone and talk to them about their spiritual lives and whether or not they wanted to rejoin the fellowship. It doesn't mean that if you bumped into them in a social setting that you would have to leave. And that seems to be the case because right after that, Paul says, I'm not talking about the sinners out in the world. The only way you can avoid sinners who are not a part of the assembly is to remove yourself from the world. There is a way that we interact with outsiders. There is a grace and mercy that we bring to those relationships. But once those folks have been attracted to Christ and have agreed to make him king of their lives, 
they've entered into a relationship where we hold each other accountable to that standard. So Paul says, don't busy yourself judging people outside your fellowship, but the folks inside we have a responsibility to. And because of the responsibility we have to one another, we're to purge the evil person from among us. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.